like a young junk you sad like making big mistakes I feel like for the first time in a long time I am not afraid I feel like a kid never thought it feel like this like when I close my what is good but i don't i don't want to do what is wrong but i do it anyway but if i do what i don't want to do i am not really the one doing wrong it is sin living in me that does it i have discovered this principle of life that when i want to do what is right i inevitably do what is wrong i love god's law with all my heart but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is the light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, clean, cleans us, us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Kayleen. That was awesome. Taking some really hard scripture and making it a little easier to hear. We pray with me? Uh, God, we, we want to hear your word today because we believe that your word is your voice and it's good for us to listen. So God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. 
Give us hearts to follow. Help us to hear from each other too, your voice speaking through each of us, God, as our, our hearts are turned towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one day there was a man that was sitting in traffic, you know, because some people have to drive to work. And so this guy was at a stoplight, and he was noticing that the person in front of him was looking over at some papers, like, looked like she was shuffling through them, you know, it was, she was in the middle of traffic, and, you know, she wasn't on her phone, but in papers, not paying attention, and the light turned green, and he didn't want to be rude and honk, so instead he just starts muttering to himself. Maybe you've seen some of these people in the, in the traffic, like, God, can't you walk up there? And finally, after about 30 seconds of, like, traffic is now all moving except for this car, and then him, and then whoever's behind him, so finally he just lays on the horn, and she looks up, and she waves, and she starts going, and makes it 30 feet to stop at the very same stoplight. The guy is furious. He is yelling things that we shall not name in the, in the car. He's hitting his steering wheel, the dashboard, and completely in a temper tantrum until he hears this tap, 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 tap on his window, and he turns and sees the pistol of a gun that's being held by a police officer who's ordering him to get out of the car which he does with some consternation and says, like, you can't, you can't get mad. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was yelling in my car. You can't get upset with me for yelling in my car. And the police officer put him in the backseat of his car, took him down to his station, and then he's proceeding to be held for two hours. This guy cannot believe what is happening. And after two hours, the officer comes, opens the door, tells the man that he's free to go. And he's like, of course I'm free to go. Again, you can't arrest me for yelling in my car. You haven't heard the last of this. I'm calling my lawyer. And he turns to leave, and the police officer said, sir, I didn't arrest you because you were yelling in your car. I mean, I was sitting behind you at the stoplight, and I did look into your window and see this temper tantrum going on and thought, gosh, what a jerk, but I can't really pull him over for just like yelling in his car. But then I saw a cross hanging from your wind, like rear view mirror. I saw your what would Jesus do license plate cover and your Restoration Covenant Church sticker or other place. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, this guy stole the car. Huh? Huh? All right, well. Because if we really think about it, I think nothing turns someone away from Christ and Christianity faster than when we see someone living inconsistent, meaning they say one thing and they do another thing. And maybe you've heard this uh, in school, like when you point your finger at someone, you know, even though you have one finger pointing at them, you have three fingers pointing back at yourself. Have you heard that before? So... It's easy to point our fingers at the things that other people do. But what I think is really powerful about Romans 7 is that when the writer is going through in the chapters and saying, you know, like, God is amazing, we're all, but we're all sinners. 
And you people who are, think you're God's special people, you're sinners, you people who know that you're apart from God's family, you know you're sinners. Like, he's sort of pointing his finger, but then he turns the scripture in Romans 7, and he looks at the three fingers that are pointing back at himself and how he misses it. So I just want us to take a few minutes today and think about this idea of what it means to be people who are loved by God and yet people who mess up, people who are sinners. Because being a Christ follower is ultimately not just about knowing who Jesus is or knowing what sin is and admitting that we sin. I really believe that since Jesus defeated sin, if we are in Christ, then we have the power to win against sin too. Like, it doesn't mean we'll be perfect or sinless, but if we're committing ourselves to Christ, I do think it means we'll sin less. So today, let's consider that for a few minutes. And you might still not be sure, but, you know, let's just listen together, talk together, and we'll figure it, figure it out. So if we're really going to, if you think we can sin less with Christ, then how do we do that? I think one of the ways we do that is we have to know where we're going. If we want to win against sin, we have to know where we're going. Knowing where you're going is thinking about, in order to really, really talk about this clearly, because that doesn't really make sense, I want you to think about a rule that you have to follow. Doesn't matter how old you are, um, just any rule that you have to follow. It doesn't even have to be something that's hard, could be anything. Ready? All right, go. What's one rule that you have to follow? Stop at a red light. Yes. If you tell your, your 16-year-old that if there's a white outline on the stop sign that it's optional, you know, that, and believes you, then, you know, she could get in trouble. So stopping at a red light or at a stop sign. It's a good rule. Any others? Oh. Clear. Bringing me back some good times, Zach. Clear your dishes after dinner. Sure. Brush your teeth. Make your bed, which I remember being a kid saying, why do I have to make my bed? I'm just going to get in it the next, I mean, really the same day. <laughs> make your bed. Brush your teeth. What else? Ooh. Treat others with dignity, kindness, and respect. Follow God. I heard that one. Did we have another one back there? Ooh, send thank you notes. Oh, did she just get, she's like, oh, I was supposed to send a thank you note. That was the face <laughs> that I saw. Be on time. No others? Do your homework. You guys are picking all really good rules. Oh. So we'll get to the rules that are hard to follow in a few minutes, but for now, just <laughs> no screens at the table is what was said. Uh, I remember one of mine growing up was uh, stay off the street. Does anyone still have this rule? Stay off the streets. Yes, you have that rule, you have that rule, you have that rule. Which is great when, uh, how old are you? 
Five. That is a great rule when you're five. Everyone else, anyone else want to disagree that stay off the streets is a perfect rule for a five-year-old? Okay, good rule. Now, but when you go to school, if you don't go to school at home, that's going to present a problem. Anybody, anybody track with that one? Why might that present a problem? What? You might have to walk to school and cross the street. <laughs> That's going to be a big problem if all you're doing is going circling the block, you know, after you say goodbye to your mom, because you're like, you told me I can't cross the street. So the rule has to change. Maybe the rule becomes uh, you need to hold a grown-up's hand to cross the street. That seems like a, a good rule after, you know, you're five and no crossing the street. If you're an adult going, what's the point? I promise there's a point. And if you're a kid going, do the rules change? Yeah, they sort of do, but keep listening. So, you know, again, at six, seven, or eight, great rule. You know, you can only cross the street when you're holding a grown-up's hand. But imagine you're nine or ten, and you're playing, I don't know, wiffle ball in the front yard. And you, you pitch it, and your friend hits it, you know, over right field, which is the sidewalk and then bounces in the street, so they're claiming their home run, and now you're like... So you have to run in the house as a nine or 10-year-old and yell for your mom, get in trouble for yelling for your mom, and then asking her to hold your hand so you can go across the street to get the wiffle ball? That's not great as a nine or 10-year-old, unless anyone's like, no, no, that's still my rule. You can talk to me after. So I would say that that has to change. Maybe, maybe look both ways before you cross the street, even twice. Now, I would say the rule probably has to change again and again, but here's the point. More important than the rule about crossing the street is knowing why you wanted to cross the street in the first place because it's really not about crossing the street. I mean, the street rule in this case is about, no matter how old you are, is about keeping you safe and alive, not really trying to keep you trapped. How many of you think that sometimes either parents or God makes rules that are supposed to keep you trapped? Like, it's not about fun. God just wants to make sure I don't have any fun, just like my parents want to make sure I don't have any fun. Maybe you feel like your spouse doesn't want you to have any fun, or maybe you have friends that are just no fun. But I think we can, we can start to grow up, which is different than mature, and we can think we have freedom from a rule and be really excited that the rule changed and forget why we wanted to cross the street in the first place. Or in this case, we have really, yay, I don't have that rule anymore, but I really don't know where I'm going. See, Psalm 119.105 says that God's word is a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. And when we're, we're so excited that we might get to ditch this rule or this rule changes, we can forget that actually God does want to guide us and lead us. His word is there so that we don't trip 
we can have this lamp to guide each step, each little decision we take. But in the same way, his light is, his word is like a light that shines down the path. So it's not just this point of what's this, this step of knowing where we're going, but knowing where it's leading. Uh, uh, Proverbs, I think 13.20 says that a friend of fools suffers harm, but the one who has wise friends will do well. And so if you're at a point where you're choosing friends and wondering if they're going to take you into the right places, this is what this knowing where you're going is talking about. We can ask God to show us where we're going. I don't know if you do this because you might go, okay, that's, I get that. Ask God about where I'm going. What does that look like? How about, God, you know everything, so you can show me where this path and this decision could take me. Or, God, if your word says that I should have wise friends, help me to choose wise friends to lead me down the path. God's word is light to guide our steps, but God is also light. Joe read it beautifully. God is the light, not just his word is light. He is the light. So anywhere God is, he is revealing because that's what light does. It reveals things. Maybe you have to dust. There's, I don't know, I guess it's something that people still do. You spray it on like products like your, your wood table and you know, maybe someone asks you that you love to, to clean the table and dust the table, so you try to do it, and you think you do it really well, and all of a sudden the afternoon sunshine shines in and just reveals, like, all of this dust. That's sometimes, that's actually not sometimes, that's exactly what light does. So when we walk in the light, the good news is we don't stumble. The bad news is we feel exposed, so how do we live that out? Well, I think the second thing we do in winning against sinning is not just knowing where we're going, it's seeing where we're looking. Seeing where we're looking. Well, what do I mean by that? So Paul writes Romans. Paul loved Jesus. Paul tried really hard before he knew Jesus to keep all the commandments. He realized he couldn't keep all the commandments, but Paul still struggled with following Jesus even after he followed Jesus. That's what Romans 7 is talking about. He realized he didn't obey the commands perfectly, and that's not what it's about. But it is about seeing where he's looking. Okay, so this, for this idea, we got to think, I need your help again. So what's a rule that you have to follow that's hard to follow? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, especially when you're upset with them and you want to, well, we'll just love your neighbor. Do you want to tell me why that's hard to follow? Hmm. Thank you. What else? Driving the speed limit. Do you want to tell me why that's hard to follow? <laughs> Do not covet thy neighbor's ox. That was an interesting choice. Do you want to tell me why that's hard to follow? O-X, A-U-X. It's just like a really nice, like, auxiliary cable 
Like, do not covet thy neighbor's cell phone. Any, any others? We asked some of our children what they might have that's hard to follow, and we did get some back. So uh, here's a few that were sent in. Listening, hard to follow. Cleaning your room, a little different than making your bed. This actually, you know, a clean room does help sometimes. Ooh. Being kind to the people when you're mad. Yeah, being kind to people when you're mad. I, I can see that. I, I struggle with that. Not eating a lot of sugar and candy. A rule you have to follow that you don't, that's hard to follow. Cleaning. And it looks like that's a giant stuffed animal that has to be put away. Any others? All right, so this idea of having a rule that's hard to follow, does it help if you have one, because you might not have shared one, but I want you to think about something that's hard for you. It's something you know you need to do, but it's hard to do. Does it help if you sit and focus on what that hard thing is? Because, man, when I try harder and focus on it more, it does not help at all. At all. So this idea of seeing where we're looking is about seeing what is the reason behind the rule. Not just where I want to go, but now, as I'm going, what am I looking at? So for this, we want to go to Genesis 2.15. This is the first brand new relationship with God, where God creates this beautiful place. He puts uh, all of this, he makes this beautiful garden. He puts a man and a woman in, and all these animals in this place. It's called the Garden of Delight. And he puts the man in there to take care of him or the human. He says, you're free to eat from any tree, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Does anyone know where this tree is located? In the middle of what? In the middle of the forest or the, the garden. That's right. It's in the middle. So there's, before there's the Ten Commandments, before there's God's law, before I think even the word sin is invented, there's one restriction. Okay, this is for all of us. I don't, I don't care how old you are. I've been chewing on this one for actually a couple years. So God has in this place, especially when we think about what's hard to follow, what sin is, what does it mean to, to know and love Jesus, there's perfect relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. We have access to him at all times, and the humans have one restriction, and it's in the middle of the garden. And it's to take something that God made that's good to look at, but not to take and eat away from God. Because that's what Adam and Eve did. They took the fruit, they ate it, they ate it by themselves. They wanted to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this apart from you, God. And that's ultimately what it means to have, like, ultimately that's the first commandment. To have no other gods before me. 
Um, so Soren Kierkegaard, very famous theologian and writer, he says that um, he wrote a book called uh, The Sickness Unto Death, 1849. This is how he defines sin. I think it's just radical. Sin is in despair, not wanting to be oneself before God or in front of God. Sin is in despair, not wanting to be oneself in front of God, which I think you could say it like this. So I sin not by just the things I do, but when I try to create a life or an identity apart from God. So if life with God is, is pictured in the garden and the one choice that we can make to choose living apart from God is in the middle of the garden, then I think, then I think that that's always present at every moment as we can choose to do life apart from God. And yet, it's only one restriction and it's in the middle of the garden, meaning there's all of these boundaries that aren't really boundaries. There's all this vastness, there's all these yeses, there's all these things we can do in this garden that just seem vast and endless. But we so often think of rules as closing us in, keeping us in this space, whether it's parents and children, whether it's God and the, the child, adult child, grown child. But if this is true and it matches what Soren Kierkegaard is saying is sin is when I choose to try and live apart from God, then there's all of these things that I can do as long as I hold that one thing in tension, that one thing, as long as I say, God, I want to do this with you. Just want to make sure I didn't miss something. So the best way I thought about describing this is if we think about where we're looking is this old story of the Odyssey. Um, uh, in Homer's story, The Odyssey, there's this Greek hero named Odysseus. He goes on all of these adventures and he has this ship and he has this crew. And one of the places that he has to go is he has to come by the island where the sirens live. The sirens have these they're crazy creatures. They have these bird bodies, these women's heads. They have the, the most wisdom and the beautiful voices. And so they start singing. And when ship sailors hear them, when, ships don't hear them. When sailors hear them, then they get, they're like, ooh, that sounds really good. It's like the rules that are hard to follow in our lives. And then they start listening. They come closer to the island. Then the waves crash them into the rocks and they all, they don't make it. So Odysseus comes up with this plan because he wants to hear this. He's not really thinking about where he's looking. So he says, oh, I'll put wax in all of my sailors' ears so they won't be able to hear the sirens. And then I'll have my crew tie me onto the mast so that I can hear. And then I know I'll want to go, but I'll tell them no matter what I say, don't untie me. And then I'll get to hear them. And so that's what he does. In fact, Lego, someone took Lego and made, made it. <laughs> but that's what I think some of us think that the Christian life is. This, this idea of struggling or trying to win against sin is that I have to be strapped to something. I have to be all tied up 
so that I'm, I'm really restricted, and then, then I'll get to live this life with God. And so this guy does. That's, that's what he does. It does not sound like a picture of really joy. It doesn't sound like a picture of walking with God. And, and Odysseus isn't even really thinking about or seeing where he's looking. He wants things that, are, that he can't have, if you will. And he thinks the only way he can is if he ties himself up. That is not joyful walking with God. That's not what we I don't think that's what we want to be about at Restoration. But it's sort of the picture that we get with this story of Odysseus. It's sort of the picture we get with Romans 7. I want to do this, but I can't do this. But if we hear what he ends with, like, I can't do it on my own, but thanks be to God who's made a way through Christ. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. So ultimately, winning against sinning is not about trying harder. It's about focusing on and following Jesus. Focusing on and following Jesus is seeing, like, am I looking at this thing that is really bad for me or is really apart from God, or am I looking at what I can do with God? Because if I look at what I can do with God, really, back to that picture of the Garden of Eden, there's a lot that I can do. Because the Christian life, I think this is huge. The Christian life is not about Christ. It is Christ. All of the time that we live, we have the opportunities to live in Christ and with Christ because we can't win over sin on our own. We don't have to be powerful enough or perfect enough. We just need Jesus. And when we do, then we, we understand that Jesus gave his life for us so that he could live give his life to us so that he could live his life through us. And when we live through him, it's, it's less like Odysseus being strapped to a mast, and it's, it's more like what another Greek tale wrote, uh, writer wrote about in an epic tale about this guy named Jason and the Argonauts. Maybe you've heard of Jason and the Argonauts. They were also a crew that sailed the seas, but, and, and one of the places that they had to go by was this island of the Sirens, but Jason, I think he, was, he tapped into something that I think we need to tap into on focusing and following Jesus. See, Jason's like, I don't need wax and I don't need ropes. I just need to bring this guy named, oh gosh, now I forgot, Orpheus. I need to bring Orpheus, who's the greatest harp player in the world. So here's the deal. I'm going to put Orpheus on my ship and we're going to sail past this island, but because Orpheus plays such beautiful music, my sailors, they're going to listen to the harpist. And I'm, I'm going to listen to the harpist. I'm not even going to be tempted to look over at the sirens. I'm not even going to be tempted to go to the sirens. Not because I'm strapped to a rope, strapped to a mast on a rope, by rope, but because I'm being pulled by this more beautiful music. See, so often when I think we do things and we, we're saying we struggle, it's because we're really not seeing the picture of our life with, with Jesus that God sees in us. That's what it means to be focused on and following Jesus. Because he really does bring us into his family. He really does accept us and love us. And he really does like us. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he delights over us. So what would it look like for you and I to put our lives in Christ, 
to focus on him and follow him. Actually, it's a lot more like breathing. Sometimes we're not even noticing when we're breathing. But we can stop and think about it. And this week, what I'd like all of us to consider doing is that every time we feel like we're messing up, we just breathe out. And when we breathe out, though, we don't just, we go, God, I'm breathing out. I'm confessing that thing that I'm looking at or that thing that I'm thinking or this thing that I'm doing. I know it's, it's not right. I know it's pulling me away from you. But eventually, after you breathe out, you're going to have to breathe in. So when you breathe in, you breathe in, God, I know you love me. You say you forgive me because of what Jesus has done. Help me to accept your forgiveness. You might have to do it in more than one breath. And to live by your spirit. Spiritual breathing. This week. Because it really isn't about us trying harder or us being better. It really is about focusing on and following Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I, I just breathe out and confess that, um, that I need you, and I need you every day. And I believe there's people here that need you every day. And I pray that, um, especially for those that know they need you but aren't sure how to get to you, that you would, you would declare your love, you would reach out with your words, and your spirit would come to them. I pray that people who love you would not be like the guy in the car, yelling, shouting, and getting angry, but would be like Orpheus, the harpist player. They would be creating sweet sounds, good things to say, and truth about who you are. God, I pray for those that that love you and, and like your church and yet struggle with how they live. I pray that you would show them where they're looking and how they're walking and ultimately help them to see what it looks like to live with you. God, that even as we breathe out and confess what is wrong, God, we would breathe in and confess what is right and what is true, that you do love us, that your son gave his life for us, that we can live our life through him and that you have made a way. Help us to see the vastness of your love and your joy and your peace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.